0: Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast, I'm your host Alex Lucas. Welcome to our latest episode, where we'll be discussing the latest news in the world of Formula One. And joining me to do that are my two regular guests for this weekly news roundup. First up, is Autosport's F1 reporter, Luke Smith. How are you doing, Luke? You've you've already you're already uh, in the doghouse with me because you've delayed our recording by ten minutes, getting a delivery into your into your into your house. So it seemed.
1: Hermes should be in the doghouse, not me. Uh, other okay. postage supplies are of course available to anyone listening, but I'm doing okay otherwise. Though, had um, a uh, I end up racing Esteban Ocon earlier this week on GT. Sport which was uh, an experience he was about five seconds a lap quicker than me so uh, i need to try and rectify that somehow but uh, yeah otherwise not much to report really
0: that i mean that is m- more interesting than literally anything i've done this week <laughs> um i'm making good progress on on finally completing uh, the star wars jedi fallen order game but you know enough nice. about my sad little knife although i noticed you've not told us what was gonna be, what was in the package that you have just received
1: oh it was uh it was some shirts and a jumper so not uh, very exciting i'm no, exciting. unless mm. they were particularly zoom,
0: zoom clothes
1: yeah, players, basically
0: <laughs> the second voice you've heard there is of course my other regular guest and that's motorsport.com's f1 editor jonathan noble how are you john
2: yeah not too bad i haven't raced anyone as exciting as luke has this week unfortunately but uh yeah plowing on still in lockdown boredom um but um i think we're gonna have a bit more lockdown boredom to come aren't we
0: sadly yes sadly yes but john don't you have a claim to fame regarding online racing or, or the gt sport game was haven't you haven't you uh, gone up against one of the f1 drivers in the past and come off quite well oh the gran
2: turismo world finals last That's year we've had a race had a race against lewis hamilton and eagle in, in, monaco. in monaco yeah so um myself from my, one of the french pro gamers um actually managed to beat him so uh he wasn't too wasn't massively overjoyed at the time and there's a great video of him going i don't like losing when uh when when we finally crossed the line ahead of him but um there we go it was quite a fun afternoon.
0: Good, good. Yeah, well, you you'll be able to, you know, able to. To hold that dearly in uh, in the coming years when we look back on uh, Lewis Hamilton's legacy, but there we go. That's that's a, that's another podcast. You can you can weave the anecdote in at, at a later date. Um, so we're going to be discussing, as ever, three topics from the news of the past week on this edition of the podcast, which again is part of our new weekly offering leading up to the start of the 2021 season. Uh, and the first topic for today's podcast uh, goes right to the top of the championship. And F1's new CEO Stefano Domenicali, who is of course very familiar to F1 fans, as he was an important part of the Ferrari squad that dominated the early 2000s with Michael. Schumacher and for them running the team after Jean Todd's departure until 2014. After leaving Ferrari he headed up the FIA's single seats commission and ran Lamborghini which is pretty major, pretty major stuff for Domenicali. Uh, But he replaced Chase Carey as F1 boss at the start of 2021. And recently he's been doing the rounds with the media ahead of the new season, which is of course under even greater pressure and scrutiny because of the ongoing coronavirus crisis. Uh, John, you were on a call with Domenicali earlier today and on the day that we're recording this podcast. Um, What did you learn from that roundtable call in terms of how how it is to deal with Domenicali? What sort of boss F1 now has? And how does that fit alongside you know your experience working with him when he when he worked at Ferrari
2: I think one of the one of the key words that kind of crops up with Domenicali is is kind of openness that um he when he when he arrived at Ferrari as replacement for Jean Todd you know Jean was you know very um authoritarian um had a kind of love-hate relationship with the media but wasn't particularly open with the media didn't particularly enjoy doing interviews or press conferences and Domenicali came in, and we all had a great kind of relationship with him. He's a bit more smiley and, um, you know, jokey and open. And you could go and ask him something, and he'd give you give you an answer. And it's a similar thing we're seeing in F1 too. Chase Carey was there, quite aloof at times. Um, whether that was from shyness or not having much interest in the media, we'll, we'll never know. He did a few. I think I only recall one or two press conferences, joint press conferences he did with John Todd, but wasn't particularly never never give, gave particularly good answers and was you know very much a, a kind of business brain rather than a, a racing um, racing brain. Whereas Domenicali has that attitude now that we saw at Ferrari of being very open. He wants to do more with the media. We've been promised more access to people this year. So we had an hour. There were 10, 11 journalists today on a um, call with him, video call with him. Um, from his home in Italy, because he still hasn't managed to go to the London offices yet because of coronavirus. Uh, we ran for a host of topics: um, calendar, future race formats, engines, um, Lewis Hamilton. So uh,
0: everything, really. Indeed, well, well let's let's take uh, two steps backwards slightly to go one one step forward in the in the classic cliche there. And Luke, actually, I just want to also reference. I probably should have done this into in your introduction. Your one year anniversary of joining Autosport.
1: Today, exactly, actually. Uh, today, exactly. And you and I went for, it seems like a very long time ago now, I went for a beer in the pub in Richmond. It was very, very nice first day I had there. And uh, yeah, dearly missed that. But yeah, ha- happy anniversary to me.
0: Indeed. I mean, I've forgotten what going to the pub is. I don't, it sounds very unfamiliar, but I look forward to it returning, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, that that, that reminded me, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't you, you jetted off to, to Baku and you spoke to Chase Carey there? <laughs> Yeah, that, I went wasn't that to, quite one of your early assignments for what I
1: That That was what I think eight days into the job. I flew to Baku and I spent, I think, about 20 hours actually in Azerbaijan. And then I flew back via Qatar, which is in completely the wrong direction, to land the next morning in time to be able to go to the McLaren launch and uh, yeah so I was a bit jet lagged but for my first sort of autosport uh, departure it was uh, a, a very interesting one but uh, but yeah I mean picking up on what John said about about Chase I mean he was even with that like it was that was actually the day that the Chinese Grand Prix got cancelled and uh, or, well postponed as it was then and we were kind of thinking oh this this pandemic might have a little bit of an impact on Formula 1 not foreseeing the the massive impact it, it would obviously have on, on all our lives let alone the sport itself but um, but even then I mean we, we had a good sort of 20-25 minute interview but I came away and there wasn't a ton of like big lines or anything like that and that I think Chase was a very he was very sort of business focused in his approach and I think that's the thing he was always a businessman first and really a Formula One fan second and I think that's something that uh, Stefano I think he will he will bring to the role that ultimately he's been in this sport he's grown up in this sport he's, he's been around for 20 for odd years and obviously enjoyed all that success with Ferrari and I think that will I think that will lend itself to a very different type of leadership and a very different sort of relationship with the media as well. I think it's going to be very, um, very different. I think we're going to get a sort of a lot more, a lot more from him probably. And um, yeah, I mean, even sort of d- discussing with with John earlier about sort of the, the stories and stuff coming out of that news conference today. I think that was, uh, th- there's a lot to go on. So yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a really exciting time actually for F1. I think that, yeah, it's nice to have, uh, I think Chase Carey did a lot of great stuff for F1, don't get me wrong, but I think Stefano is more of an F1 man, really, which I think will be good for the sport.
0: Hmm. Well, your uh, your flying visit to Baku reminds me of my own, I think it was 18 hours I spent in Riyadh for a press conference ahead of the first Formula E uh, race there in 2018, which, uh, yeah, it just seems remarkable that, that we used to do that, just uh, and, uh, flying around uh, for these for these events. And, uh, of course, we look forward to hopefully that returning, but maybe it won't. Maybe things will all be completely different. We shall we shall see. Um Let's go back to Arlene, enough, as, I, as ever, of my ridiculous anecdotes. Um, John, in terms of the big is- the big issues that he's got to grapple with early on, I mean, would I be right in saying that the pandemic and its impact on F1 just just dominates everything else at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think um, in terms of big bigger picture stuff, I think with the Concord Agreement having been sorted, with the cost cap coming in, Um, with all the governance structures in place those kind of the big issues the the foundations by which the sport is based quite solid so he hasn't got to worry too much there's not a huge political storm going on on that front so they can be pushed to the side but obviously coronavirus the impact of it is still looming large over everything Um, obviously sorting out the calendar is probably the biggest headache at the moment he says in in daily discussions now with all the race promoters um, obviously keen to, to get these races going but you're relying on governments and the situation seems to be changing very fast wherever we're going so he he suggested we'll get a decision in the next few days whether that's um, you know before the weekend or after the weekend about where the season starts I think there's some renewed doubts about Portugal they've says Domenicali says they've got a plan A plan B plan C and plan D in terms of where things are going to go early on one of those options is a kind of to start the season with a double header in Bahrain so we you decamp there for two weeks as happened at the end of last year um, then potentially Portugal doesn't happen because I think Portugal's having a huge outbreak at the moment so it's looking very um, doubtful but Domenicali says Imola will happen so he's fairly confident on that front so I think we're, we may be nudging towards the season starting with the pre-season testing in Bahrain two races in Bahrain then we go to Imola for the for the third round of the championship. So but I think things are moving very quickly. But he is, says we're very confident, um, totally confident, he says, actually, of having 23 races this year.
0: I mean, um, John, did you pass on the idea that both you and Luke um, completely destroyed that I had about starting in Silverstone or, or going to Silverstone for a succession of early races? That seemed like the perfect opportunity to, to present it directly to Domenicali.
2: No, I'd wiped that idea from my brain beforehand, unfortunately. Sorry.
0: Ah, uh, shocking, shocking. I mean, it didn't work anyway, but, you know, good opportunity for my uh, for my plans for world domination. But there we go. Um, Luke, I just wondered if we could also have a little consideration about what appointing Domenicali to be the F1 boss, what does that say about Liberty Media and its ownership of, of F1? I mean, I can't, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any opposition or any particular negatives to him getting the job in terms of how people have reacted to it. So, you know, he, he's someone very familiar with Formula One. You know, with the the, the stakeholders. You know, Jean Todt remains president of the FIA, so they know each other well. Yeah, what what does his appointment say about F1's overall owner?
1: I think it shows they're not really sort of going down the hard business line make a profit at all costs approach which I think that maybe um, under the previous ownership of CBC with, with Bernie Eccleston at the helm their remit to him really was make a profit make us money and that, that was kind of it and I think we, we saw that in, in terms of the knock-on effect on what happened in the sport and uh, with some of the decisions taken and Liberty they've always looked at sort of growing like the, the franchise value sort of giving the teams real value in terms of what they're doing and making it just a better sort of ecosystem all around, really. And I think that, as I said, Chase Carey did a lot of great things for the sport, but he wasn't really an F1 man. Like, he learned a lot about the sport sort of on, on the job, basically. Whereas I think Domenicali coming in, I think it shows that if they really were just thinking about dollar signs they would have probably brought in another sort of very business led guy to, to come in and do that but instead we've got Stefano coming in who as you said there was not a single bad word said about him when the, the appointment was made everyone was full of lovely stories and really nice compliments about him and I think that that's a really good sign as, as you say he knows the sport inside out I think he's going to be excellent in terms of working with all the teams and just dealing with all of that And I think that maybe something that the initial leadership structure we had where it was Sean Bratchett's Chase and Ross Braun, Braun was the only F1 man, really. Both Bratches and Carey came in from very different backgrounds, and I think that it kind of, I think particularly with Bratches, I mean, I remember talking to him off the record a, a couple of years back, and he was stunned by the amount of self-interest. Now the teams were only out for themselves; they weren't looking at the bigger picture. And I was kind of thinking, but what do you expect? Like they're trying to beat each other. And I think Stefano, I think him and Ross working together, particularly obviously rekindling that sort of old Ferrari partnership as well. I think that's that's really exciting. I think it's going to be really cool to see what they can do together. And And yeah, I think just make it a bit more, there's a bit more F1 sort of know-how at the very top of the sport now, which is great. And obviously the the Liberty investors and those above Stefano, sort of Greg Maffey and um, figures like him, they're still going to have targets. They're still going to want, obviously, money coming in. And obviously right now it is a a very difficult time for F1 financially because of the pandemic. But I think that, yeah, it's just a bit more of a, I think a bit more of an open and a bit more more of an F1-led F1, if that makes sense, which is quite cool. So I'm really excited to see what he can do in the
0: role look again you've reminded me of uh, of an event many many years ago just you're, you're springing <laughs> this all is these like memories me. It's like an episode of family guy i remember yeah, that like, time when <laughs> it's like uh greatest hits in sort of the sad context of lockdown but it was when uh, you and i uh, you, i'd only just started working for autosport in 2017 and i think you were there for another publication we went to the fia um was it sport conference geneva. In, yeah. in geneva that was and like... that it, the, the memory was triggered by the fact that we did a, uh, a sort of impromptu Uh, press conference with Sean Bratches you know sort of a media scrum and uh, honestly I've never heard someone say so many words and say absolutely nothing it was it was a truly spectacular demonstration (laughs) of how that works I was like oh wow this I mean this all sounds great but I can't use any of it It's (laughs) it's really interesting there we go anyway um John last question uh, on the on the Domenicali part of this podcast. Um, what has he given like, like, like as as we said you know the 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 covid situation hopefully 2021 while it will be another year another season of just getting by and getting on to 2022 hopefully that passes by not in in formula 1's control whether that happens really but nevertheless has he given any indication about further forward into the future in terms of changing formula one significantly or or shaking things up whether that's by taking it to to new territories or indeed altering the sort of race format plans
2: yes he he talked at length about um kind of the calendar and his vision for the future he's still keen to take on the american expansion um he wants two races in america it will be austin plus one other um whether that second race is, is a fixed venue miami is still the most advanced project or they move the second race around that's that's to be defined but he's eager to keep pushing in america he says there's interest from races in north africa and south africa um so it's obviously a a key area of expansion but i think the most interesting one was at the very end of it i asked him about his his concept on f1 tradition v gimmicks you know it's a big big thing that fans are quite passionate about that f1 is popular because it's it's pure and doesn't do reverse grids or have success ballast the best car with the best driver wins the race and that's how it plays out even if sometimes it delivers a boring race but there is a a meritocracy to it so i said to him where does he stand on this and you know this this argument they've had in recent years about reverse grids and he came back very quickly reverse grid is over so fans can worry no more about that there'll be no reverse grids but he did suggest they are toying with the idea of maybe a saturday sprint race so do something slightly different format for qualifying on a Saturday. So maybe occasionally we have some sprint races rather than a standard qualifying format to decide the grid for Sunday. So I think he's open for trying some things, but I think he is somebody who will not you know, erase the traditions and historic values that F1 has delivered over the past 70 years.
0: Well, that's very interesting to hear because I've often, I can remember looking back, sorry, again, it's another me looking back (laughs) at something in the past, but just just that sensation of, oh my God, qualifying was excellent. I'm really looking forward to the race. Oh, I've got to wait a whole day. Ah, what's that all about? So Saturday race. Yeah, I'm all for that. I mean. Intriguing to see how that would uh, impact uh, the Grand Prix editors' responsibility, which, as you know, I do like to complain about on a Grand Prix weekend because it's all-encompassing. All but nevertheless, we shall move on to our second topic for this podcast. Uh, and that's actually concerns a driver who's recently exited Formula 1, although sadly, without the final race sign-off he really deserved, because of his massive accident in the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix. And that's Roman Grosjean, uh, the former Haas racer, will make his IndyCar debut in 2021, although only entering street course events with the Dale Coyne team. Uh, so... Luke, I'm coming to you first because I know that uh, you tweeted about this subject yesterday and it got rather a lot of interest for some some very big-name drivers, including uh, some of the other rookies involved. How do you think he'll get on in IndyCar this year?
1: Well, yeah, you say rookies, that's very much in inverted commas because the, oh, yeah. the tweet I put out was that with the contenders for the Rookie of the Year Award in IndyCar are seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson, three-time supercar champion Scott McLaughlin, and Roman Grosjean, 10 time podium finisher in F1, I believe, 10 years in F1. So, I mean, the word rookie is just crazy. And I, I, I tweeted that and it got big traction. And uh, yeah, I mean, all three of the drivers picked up on it and were like, are sort of backing themselves, which was great. But it's, um, I, I think it's really exciting. And there are a few sort of pedants pointing out that because uh, Jimmy Johnson and uh, Roman Grosjean aren't doing the Indy 500, which obviously awards double points and are missing some of the other oval rounds, that will be, um, that means that really they can't can't fight for the Rookie of the Year title so much. But nevertheless, I think it's still an interesting point. And I I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. I think, as you say, Roman never got the sign-off he really deserved in Formula One. And I think that when we were sort of looking back on his career towards the end of last year after the accident I think that there was a lot of a lot of people were saying and Kevin Magnussen and Gunther Steiner especially came out and said that he's just relentlessly fast and on his day given the right car could could beat anybody and he's fantastic and really deserved to be a Grand Prix winner and, and to, to have been fighting up there and I think that now moving into IndyCar which is a series that is so much closer with a Dale coin squad that has really grown a lot in recent years and has won races that has had good success with Sebastian Bordeaux, uh, in particular, in the past. And I think that that is a really exciting step. And I, I just can't wait to see what Roman can actually do now that he's got a car where he's not going to be fighting for sort of like P. Fourteen P thirteen at best to try and nickel a couple of points. Like he's going to be able to, I think, consistently fight up the order, four points, four podiums, hopefully even for wins. And I think it's just the sort of the the next chapter of his career that he really, really deserves. And uh, I mean, ultimately, uh, John, I know you're on the call, so you're probably better place to talk about it. But the decision not to do the ovals, obviously, discussed with his family. I mean, makes. Complete sense. I think that even to be racing at all this year is fantastic. But yeah, it's just a wonderful feel good story, I think. And I can't wait to watch that first race and see Roman back behind the wheel of a racing car.
0: It might not necessarily be totally over in terms of F1 for Roman Grosjean in one very specific way, in terms of the fact that he's already said that he's open to the sort of substitute deal that we saw Nico Holkenberg getting this year in terms of replacing drivers that unfortunately contracted COVID 19. I mean, he's not got a reserve driver, or you know, the, the sort of more formal, traditional sort of role that you would have with a team. It's a bit like Hulkenberg, You know, he was he he, he was he was available, so that that's what the team, that's what uh, Racing Point uh, went for when they needed him last year. But yeah, do you, could, is that is that likely? Do you think that Grosjean would be would be the first port of call over someone like Hulkenberg or the or the other drivers maybe in F two that might have super licences? Yeah,
2: you know, I think. I think what Hulkenberg showed us last year is you can never tell where the, the twists and turns of kind of F1 can take drivers because if you, you're in the right place at the right time and if if a driver's absent um, on a weekend that Roman is free and maybe some others aren't available, say Albon is racing in DTM and Hulkenberg is doing something else, then why would someone not phone up Roman to say, are you free to jump in because he'll will have a super license. He's got current, or relevant race experience, so he could get in there. And if he's having a you know storming IndyCar season, has won some races and is the you know darling of America with a bit of a hype machine behind him, turns up in F1 and does a good job, then suddenly he's back in the frame for a, a 22 F1 seat. You know you can't tell where these where these things are going. So there's a, a phase middle of 2020 where Hulkenberg was you know top of the list and everyone was gunning for him to get a top seat and he he could have been in that you know a slight change of circumstance if Perez for example you know hadn't delivered such a sensational season then you know maybe Hulkenberg would have been top of that Red Bull list and things would have progressed more
0: there so uh, never say never in this sport Absolutely absolutely well yeah I mean I mean, we just it is even more unexpected than 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 usual because of the the situation with the pandemic, uh, and that sort of that brings us on to our last uh, topic in a way because we're going to be discussing the latest news around Mercedes launching its 2021 slash 2020 car carryover design, and that's the W12. Uh, it's an all new designation for a car that will feature many of the same parts of the dominant W11 that swept both titles last year, and it's set to be unveiled on the second of March ahead of winter testing. It will be, of course, an all digital launch because of the restrictions around you know it's currently a lockdown in the UK and you know the events uh, subject to all sorts of the social distancing requirements these days um, but John I just wanted to I just wanted to come on to, to sort of address something regarding how we do things at autosport and motorsport.com in terms of replying to our stories because you know you, you see a few a few things people commenting on why are we just reporting these these launch dates and I get a bit frustrated with that because it's more like well in terms of publications if people didn't read them they wouldn't do them like of course there's you know lots of public interest stories that you might publish even though it might not get you know a certain number of uh, uh, readers or whatever but with things like this people are genuinely interested in when teams are going to be launching their new Formula One cars. it's the time of year people just want to gobble up all the information that they can and there's just extra there's extra loaded everything regarding Mercedes at the moment because it's still not uh, announced Lewis Hamilton or or announced what Lewis Hamilton is going to be doing so we'll come on to that in a moment but yeah what is the what is the rationale between why we do these stories for our websites
2: well partly because the pre-season launch period itself is is an important phase of the season so you need to know it is important to know when the teams are launching the cars otherwise people would wake up one day and suddenly you've got a a car launch so it's part of the it's part of the winter build-up it's as important as knowing when races are so we report when a calendar is. So why would you not report when an official car launch is done? And the reason is people are, we report on things and we, you know, have huge analytics, you know, live analytics of what people are reading and how long they're reading it for and what they're interested in. And there is interest in people knowing when these dates are. They're done just as every other story is done because people are reading it. People are interested in it. And it's not just done to fill. There's no pressure on us to fit, you know fit a certain tick box to do five stories per day if 10 things happen on one day or one thing happens on one day then that's what the story count will be it's but it's it fits in around a a kind of combination of what people are interested in and the fact that launches are important because you know it's one of the
0: big dates before testing and the season starts absolutely and you know i i I find this all very interesting i i I genuinely find why media publications do anything like you know i think that's something that personally interests me and i just like the fact that we've got these platforms that we can we can address certain things that that come our way so that's why we've uh, we've talked about that on this podcast um luke as i said this particular oh when's the new mercedes going to be launched is, is loaded with extra sort of juiciness because of the lewis hamilton situation i mean what did we learn from the sort of invitation that mercedes sent out because there's a line in it that says there'll be media opportunities with both the drivers well at the moment only Valtteri Bottas has a contract to be on the grid in 2021 with Mercedes. So what sort of, did it, did it tell us anything or am I just getting completely overexcited for no reason?
1: Um, I think it's it's part of the sort of the pre-season hype, particularly around this Lewis story, because it's it's really the question that everybody has. I mean, I even talk to sort of friends who sort of have a, a fleeting interest in F1 and they go, oh, what's going on with Lewis in his contract? Why hasn't he signed it? Yeah, and it's, uh, and it's a valid question. Ultimately, those talks are still ongoing. And for, for the number of, sort of like things and rumours you may see floating around Twitter about oh Lewis asked for this or asked for that. I mean ultimately the only people who really know that are Lewis, Toso Wolf and the lawyers. So it's very it's very hard to glean any proper details right now apart from sort of outside speculation. And I think that it's um yeah, I think Mercedes, I mean, they've they've always said that ultimately they're there's no expectation for anything but Lewis Hamilton to re sign and continue with the team. And they, he's still involved in all of their sort of like preseason um, promos and stuff. I think they've been doing work with um uh, AMD or one of their other sponsors recently and Lewis is is part of all of that. So it's like well if he wasn't going to be continuing then why would he still be involved? So it's uh yeah it's it's an it's an interesting one. I think that ultimately that that clock is ticking and uh, I know um Stefano said um in call with with John today that it's um the really there's sort of a reminder on when that first race is and when testing is going to be and you'd imagine by then they'll have something signed. But actually no it is the car launch which is now less than a month away and really Really Mercedes by then have got to get everything sewn up because they can't have a car launch with just one driver Valtteri Bottas lifting the covers off and saying oh we're still waiting on Lewis I don't know so it's uh, it's interesting and I think that for the first time now there's really like a, a bit of a, a clock that is ticking before they've always said oh like don't worry about it we're going to get it done super quickly we just need to set some time apart uh, obviously Lewis got Covid towards the end of last year Toto Wolff he's caught Covid as well over the winter as well and had some time away so it's um, sort of delayed things a little bit but it is um yeah it's now that they've got less than a month really to get everything across the line and i personally i I don't doubt that they will i think it's going to be a a formality but um yeah it's interesting how that maybe that little bit of extra pressure if that does change any of the dynamics in that uh, negotiation process
0: one last question about about launches i mean digital launches they're not entirely not altogether new really i mean it's just the fact that every everything is happening digitally as opposed to like you know Mercedes has launched its cars live on YouTube in the past that's a digital launch as opposed to you know what was it the Albert Hall with the Spice Girls was it McLaren in the 90s and things like that but do you think things like things like doing everything via Zoom um, even you know even when the pandemic subsides on cost reasons or you know logistics reasons do you think that maybe they'll be they'll be here to stay in the future when it comes to car launches? I think it's
2: fast-tracked a lot of the the kind of Zoom calls. You speak to some of the the team personnel and they've suddenly realized that having a a team manager's meeting or a technical director's meeting uh, or meeting between engine um, manufacturers is actually easier to do it on a Zoom call that takes two hours than having to fly from, say, London to Paris, spend a night in Paris, a right. uh, morning in Paris have the meeting then fly back that evening and lose two days so I think there will be a lot of processes that are fast-tracked now that take place via mm-hmm. Zoom uh, and I think the teams there had been a kind of a, a rollover to having launches that, that were done digitally because you haven't got a sort of waste of logistics of dealing with the media you can do everything on your own, um, own terms um, you can be more flexible in terms of when things are doing so if it shifts forward or backwards by two days or so it doesn't particularly matter Um, I think it will become the the norm to have um, digital launches and I think only if there's a a big sponsor at play like we see with Alfa Romeo having an event in Warsaw maybe a sponsor will want to pay for an actual physical launch Um, but you know with us having been in lockdown now that seems forever I think you know everyone would really really look forward
0: to uh, an actual physical launch. How quickly we yearn for normality to return and you know on that Reasonably positive note. Uh, let's uh, let's end things there, guys. Thank you very much to the two of you for coming on the podcast today, and of course, thanks to everybody listening along. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and will be available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There will be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis, and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com/slash-plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Music.